Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. This podcast is presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier hunt GPS hunting app. It turns your phone into a mobile working GPS. So the Onyx Hunt app has a ton of different features, but one of the new features that they released that you may not know about is the trim tracks feature. So you've always been able to track yourself, turn it on. It'll draw a line following you as you walk. And, and then you can save it and see the distance and all the good details with it. But now it's, it's all too common that you're, uh, you forget to turn off your tracks. You get back to your truck and you drive home and then you're like, geez, you know, I forgot to do that. Now it doesn't show accurate mileage and everything else. So now you can clean that up and be able to remove the portion that, uh, that when you were driving essentially or cut a piece of it out. So that's really helpful to, to be able to do that because I know myself, I leave it on more times than I remember to turn it off. So, <laughs> but if you want to check out the Onyx hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com And if you use the coupon code EMW, save yourself 20% off of the app and tethered. So tethered has been, really changing the saddle hunting game here recently and really mobile hunting in general. And so the tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics that had a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. So they have two missions, spread the love for saddle hunting to the sportsman community and also design and engineer the world's best saddle hunting equipment. And that's it. The way, and the way that was the order that, that I read that in is the first is spread the love for saddle hunting, and you'll notice that with their website, they have so many different resources to teach you about saddle hunting and get people introduced to it and just learn all the, the details of that before the second part is selling the great products, lightweight, safe mobile hunting gear. So if you want to learn more about what Tethered has to offer, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven Optics. So Maven is a direct-to-consumer company. So they are able to put out the highest quality optics at a fraction of the cost of their competitors because they're cutting out the middleman. They're selling direct only on their website or at shows. And I don't know if we'll be having any shows anytime soon, uh, but they have a bunch of different options over on their website. I've been using Maven Optics for probably, I don't know, five years now or so. And they just released their new RF1 rangefinder. It's their first rangefinder. Same high quality optics that they have in, in all of their, their binos and their spotting scopes, rifle scopes, but they put that into a rangefinder. And you can have anywhere from five to 4,500 yard range effectiveness, line of sight and angle compensation, field and forest functionality. And it's recommended for anybody from archery hunters, rifle hunters, long range shooters, and everything in between. If you head over to mavenbuilt.com, check out their products. If you decide to buy something, use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT and you'll get a free gift with your full price optics order. And last but not least, I wanted to share 
uh, a sale going on because uh, we talk about trail cameras in this this episode here, and I just released a, a blog talking about trail camera usage. And so I, I use a ton of different cameras. I've used so many different brands, and Exodus has been the one that I've seemed to have, well, over half of my cameras are Exodus now. And just been the most reliable. I know that when I put them out, I can leave them for over a year. They're still going to be working. And so to give you a a little bit of a details of what's going on here. So the Exodus Render, which is their Verizon 4G LTE cell camera, it's available for pre-sale once again. So the demand for the product last year was crazy. And they were out of stock during their annual Black Friday sale. But starting now, they're extending some of the best pricing just for my listeners. So they they did this pre-order sale a few days ago, and they sold out literally in hours. But uh, so I was talking to uh, the guys over there, Jake at Exodus, and and he created a different discount code for the listeners here. So if you want to use the the code Render thirty five, you'll save thirty five dollars off of the new render for the pre-sale that's all through January. You can use that. It'll also work with the solar panel bundle and security bundle, but it's only for the Exodus render cell cameras. I ran two of them this year and they are incredible. I had the, the other one last year too. So I've been using them for two years now. So if you're un- if you're not familiar with Exodus and their trail cameras, they're backed by a five-year no BS warranty and also includes a five-year theft and damage coverage. So they have the best trail c- camera warranty in the industry and the support to back it up. So check out Exodus trail cameras and and make sure that uh, if you do decide to buy one and let me know how your experience is with them. Because when I first bought one a few years back, I, I it'll be tough for me to change anything else at this point. But all right. So uh, some news I have before we start getting into the episode here with Gordon Dalton, I just mentioned that I just released a blog literally a couple hours ago before recording this. And I, I was, I was writing an Instagram post about trail cameras and taking that data you get from them and being able to analyze it and use it for the upcoming season. Well, I, and actually I talked about it a little bit in this, this episode with Gordon, which is what sparked my, my mind with it. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you're running one or hundred trail cameras, that information that you get from those cameras is so crucial. And I feel like a lot of people don't do anything with that information. They get it. They look at the photos. Oh, that's nice. Nice buck there. But that's about it. So something I've been doing uh, since, since 2011, I have all my trail camera photos categorized. I have them by year and go down through all these different folders and categorization. And I also take all that information and put it into a spreadsheet to be able to analyze it, figure out where I'm going to scout in the spring, look for different trends with weather and dates and everything. But uh, anyways, there's a lot more information on that. If you head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com slash journal, you can find that article and a screenshot of what my spreadsheet looks like and a bunch of information there. So check that out. And also on uh, my website, 
I released some new coffee slash whiskey mugs on there. So you can head over. I have three different options, two enamel mugs that are great for whiskey drinking around the campfire, and then also a standard ceramic coffee mug with the East Meets West Compass logo on it. So those are all available on the website and are shipping now. So go ahead and check that out if you would. I really appreciate the the support, especially over the last you know few years with the apparel and, and the other gear and stuff that I have on the website. That helps out a ton. All right. So this weekend I was out, I decided to go out hunting and I, I really I do and I don't want to shoot a doe. I, I need the meat and uh, I'm just really busy right now and don't don't really feel like cutting it up and taking care of it. But uh, so anyways, I, I decided I was going to go out. And prior to that, I got the opportunity to buy a flintlock muzzleloader off of my grandpa. And this is a special gun. You know, one is from my grandpa. It's his gun. I borrowed it in the past, and but also he he does a lot of wood carving, and and him and I used to carve together. He taught me how to carve when I was young. We made gun cabinets and mirrors and clocks and all this different stuff. Well, he carved into the side of this gun, into the stock. Um, it's just it's beautiful the way it's engraved, and and uh, so that's it's really special. I'll hold on to that gun forever, and. So I took that gun out, took the flintlock out, mostly just to check some cameras, pull some cameras and see if they were stolen or not. Snow was really crunchy, so I ended up jumping a bunch of deer, but not uh, not getting any opportunity at does. But uh, I did I did jump a nice bedded buck. It was a decent eight point that was bedded only about 120 yards from one of my cameras, which I had him on the, on the camera. But I had most of these cameras soaking since September. Yeah. September is when I put them out. And so it was, it was like, I was like a kid on Christmas being able to uh, take a look at all that and look at the data and, and see all the photos and videos and bucks fighting and everything else. And it was, it was a pretty good time in the woods, but um, anyways, I, uh, I did, I just wanted to say thank you for another year, uh, of the podcast here and happy new year to everybody. I hope you enjoy this podcast about late season whitetail hunting with my friend Gordon Dalton. All right, we're live. I'm joined across the computer screen here once again, and this is the first time getting to talk to someone I've been wanting to talk to for quite a while and been friends with for I don't know, three or four years now. How are you doing, Gordon? Doing good, man. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Happy New Year's Eve. Yeah, happy almost, New Year's. Almost New Year's. New Year's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So again, I have Gordon Dalton on the line. He's coming out of Virginia, the mountains of Virginia. Uh, Gordon, it's a pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. I'm flattered to be here. I don't feel like any kind of expert or anything, just a guy obsessed with deer hunting like you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I think you and I kind of met through social media, um, a while ago, like I said, I don't know, three, four years ago, maybe even longer, it seems like. And we kind of hit it off hunting, you know, similar type areas, just you were in Virginia, I was in Pennsylvania. And then eventually 
uh, I got to meet up with you. I was working my last job and I had to travel down to your area and we got to actually, I got to hang out with your family and, and drink a beer or two at devil's backbone. <laughs> yeah. Amidst all the good taxidermy and big mountain sheep and stuff there. Yeah. That place is incredible. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. So, so anyways, Jordan or Gordon, would you like to give a little bit of a background on yourself and uh, kind of, you know, the type of area that you hunt in Virginia? Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Gordon Dalton. I, um, I live in Nelson County, Virginia, which is, I think one of the prettiest parts of Virginia. Um, I'm fortunate in that I get to hunt uh, a bunch of different counties all up and down the Blue Ridge. Um, but I'm, a I'm a dad, a husband, um, a speech therapist, a whitewater kayaker, fisherman, and of course a hunter, um, skier and snowboarder. I just love the mountains, love being outside. Um, especially hunting. But uh, like I say, I hunt the, I guess you'd say the central part of the Blue Ridge Mountains um, in Virginia. The Most people know, I guess, the Blue Ridge Mountains kind of runs southwest to northeast through Virginia. And we get to hunt an area um, kind of in the middle of, of that from Rockfish Gap down to the James River. Uh, so it's a whole bunch of different counties. Some of your listeners will know that. Um, basically, Albemarle, Augusta, Amherst, Nelson, Rockbridge, down into Botetot. It's a big chunk of land. Um, get to hunt um, a lot of different kinds of habitat, I guess. You asked about habitat, you know, what what type of land. It's it's mostly rugged, steep, um, homogenous uh, wood, you know, woodlands. It's all kind of the same. In other words, there's not a lot of open areas. We don't have a lot of traditional funnels and crops or anything like that. It's, it's mountain hunting, big woods hunting. Um, we hunt some, some smaller properties too, you know, even five acre little wood lots and things. Um, I have access to uh, a timber property that's thousands of acres, big woods, really pretty. Um, I hunt that with some really good friends, uh, about a dozen guys probably have access to that property and it's, it's pretty cool. And then of course the, the national forest, which I think is, um, Gosh, I, it's the Jefferson and uh, George Washington National Forest. When I was a kid, it was just the George Washington National Forest. But it's, gosh, I think it's like a million and a half acres. Um, <laughs> vast, you know. It's, for hunting purposes, it's essentially limitless. But it's all mountains, up and down. Um, big oaks, mountains. <laughs> big mountains, big woods, you know, and very little logging in there. So you don't have a lot of clearings. It's just kind of finding a big buck in there's like a needle in a haystack kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's mostly oaks, hickory, poplar. We have a few hemlocks. I think you guys have more of that stuff up there maybe. From yeah. Here. Yeah. A lot. Of, we have a lot of hemlocks. Yeah. We, very few here. Um, they've been hit with a beetle. The Willie Adelgids hurt them pretty bad. Um, we have some pines. Those are, you know, usually up higher. Yep. Um, just rocky rocky mountainous land but it's um really pretty and really fun to hunt um yeah it's cool when i when i was down in that way working there and when i met up with you and stuff those mountains are as beautiful as it gets i mean i love virginia if i think if i lived somewhere else in the appalachian mountains i could definitely live in virginia i really enjoyed it there and and the other thing was yeah those mountains are are big like they're they're taller than more elevation than we have here in pennsylvania at least in most of the places that i'm in i would say that yours are taller 
I'd say okay. they can be similar as far as the, um, I guess the topography, the steepness and ruggedness in places. But as far as actual elevation and height, I think those mountains are just giant and i definitely feel like it i I definitely think that we have a slight i guess maybe you call it an advantage but i I would say so where we do have more logging um i've talked to a few other people that are like you know down in southwest virginia and even in north carolina and stuff and they were saying similar to what you did that there's no logging there and i can you know having those differences in vegetation can definitely help a lot you know yep yep so exactly yeah we just don't have much it would help help a lot of it like the grouse would benefit from it too um but there's you know there's some ways around that but it's yeah challenging for sure yeah and you know even though it is challenging it seems like you've had quite a you know you won't say it but you've had quite a bit of success over the years of, of doing it in those conditions which is just like i said impressive in its own mind when you see those mountains in your in uh in the flesh it's it's a pretty incredible feat you look at this giant you know you said over a million acres you know just in that national forest and and all the other places combined like it's it's like you said needle in a haystack yeah totally is yeah but it's a fun challenge though <laughs> yeah and so you're still hunting right now too aren't you how has your season been up to this point uh it's been buckless it's been fun um <laughs> yeah we have uh like you know like we said it's new year's eve we have two more days uh, our season goes out the um, first saturday in january i think so this year it's day after tomorrow um and uh, it's been a fun season i've really focused hard this year on um on the national forest and just trying to figure that out um i have you know, I, I got um, cursed with some pictures of some nice bucks back in there, pretty far back in, and and just kind of got focused on trying to get a shot at one of those, maybe. And that's um, kind of that's what I've spent most of my season doing. And uh, other than shooting a few does for the freezer, that's that's been about it. Um, one highlight for me this year, though, has been taking my son out hunting, and um, so I should say that for sure. That's been that's been the highlight so far, but it's looking like it's going to be, um, a year with no bucks. Um, I just consider that paying into the system. It's my investment. Hopefully it'll uh, <laughs> pay dividends in a future year, but, uh, I have learned a lot. I've been deer hunting since 1987 and I think I've learned as much the past couple of years doing this, you know, as I have you know, all up until that point, it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah. Cause these are com- what completely new areas to you that you've been hunting last few years. This one area that I'm hunting this year is totally new to me. I got in there spring gobbler hunting. Um, I hiked in there with my family and and saw some turkey sign and did my first uh, public land gobbler hunt this spring and took a bird within like 45 minutes and was hooked and uh, saw some good deer sign in there and hung some cameras. And that's where um, I actually put a camera on a bear bed, just this two foot deep depression uh, that was just surrounded by bear sign, you know, bear poop, frankly, that, and I hung a camera there hoping to get some video of the bed of the bear in the bed and ended up getting just blind luck and ended up getting some nice deer, nice bucks and started moving, putting more cameras in. And there I was getting some of the same deer and, um, man, that was the end of me. I just got hooked on that and have tried all season to tag one of those guys when I uh, haven't even seen what I would consider a shooter, um, this year. 
<laughs> have you have you been getting like have you been checking your cameras at all? Um, getting any intel from that? Are they are they seem like they're they moved out of the area? Are they still in there? They're still in there. They definitely changed their patterns um, from you know summertime. Obviously, they were in the shade and staying cool. It's really hot and humid here in the summer, um, and they definitely switched up a little bit. Um, I haven't been getting many daylight pictures. It's my first year hunting this this area, which is probably a few thousand acres. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out what they do in there. I really don't feel like I know. Um, I'm a big fan of historical data, putting out a camera, letting it sit even a year uh, or as long as the batteries will last. And um, I haven't had the advantage of doing that here. And uh, I can't resist checking a couple of these cameras every now and then. And um, so they're still in there. Uh, at least one or two of them are, but I'm not seeing them with my eyes. So they're, um, they're, yeah, they've been challenging. It's a big area to, p- yeah. to figure out. And I'm sure after, like, I, I know with me, it takes, I'd say it takes at least three years for me to really kind of get a decent grasp on an area. You know, the first yeah. year is all your best guesses, you know, yep. and, yep. and learning from, yeah, throwing dirt at the map. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, I, I, I can totally agree with that and understand it. I, I tried that. That's what I did last year. And I went the whole year all the way into January hunting and I never filled my buck tag. It was the same thing, trying new area out and kind of got hooked on, on a couple of ghosts that were in there. And it was, uh, yeah, it was frustrating. I learned so much like, you know, from that year to, to be able to apply going forward, but it was, it's definitely difficult. Yeah. It's the, the learning thing. I, you know, one thing I wanted to say was to give you props for what you're doing with this podcast. You know, you're bringing in lots of different hunters with lots of different like approaches to the game. And I think that's really neat. You seem like you're a student of the, of this whole game. Um, it's been really cool seeing all or hearing all these different techniques, like, um, like Nathan Killen, um, learned a lot from him and how blood and just hearing all these different, you know, techniques that are coming from different parts of the country and um and learning from everybody it's it's really neat you know constant yeah. learning well thank you yeah i i love i love what i get to do here is getting to talk to everybody and learning because like i pull something from everybody you know no oh, matter yeah. how different people's strategies and tactics and stuff how, how they look at the mountain or how they look at a piece of land like you could pull something from everybody and kind of try it out on your own and yeah. And, you know, mold yourself. Everyone's their own hunter and they all have their own style to some sort, you know, and <clears throat> I think that's, it's, it's really fun to, to get to do that. Yeah. It's been great. <clears throat> so Gordon, with you, with you hunting, you know, here in December and as we're kind of getting into the beginning of January here, what does it look like for you as far as what, what are you focusing on with this time of year when it comes to, to hunting? Like as far as focusing more on food, is bedding, what, what kind of, what's that kind of look like? <clears throat> focusing on keeping myself warm most of the time here. It's been cold. Um, this year has actually been relatively warm, but um, you know, basically if I had to answer that simply, I, I would say it's a lot like, um, like pre pre rut, um, in the old day, you know, you used to hear a lot about focusing on this whole thing about like bedding to feed areas and catching the bucks in between there. That was kind of the classic, classic line. I, I've always thought that kind of applied mostly to the Midwest or farm country where you've got real defined funnels and travel corridors and 
specific bedding area, like limited bedding areas, and then big feed areas. And that has not really applied here a lot. I feel like you've got these big woods. The deer can bed and feed just about anywhere. Um, you know, and they can vary it from day to day, week to week, huge areas. Um, but I feel like in late season, um, especially this year, we didn't have a great acorn crop. They It's limited the food sources, uh, especially in the national forest, a little bit. And that gives you a little more predictability. And so you lately I find myself kind of looking for areas between bedding and feed, but it's not as simple as, as yeah. that. You know, the big areas, a bedding area could be really big. I, I don't worry about a specific bed. Um, just trying to find out what they're doing to stay alive. They're trying to stay alive and they're moving from sometimes one slope to the other or one side of the mountain to the other. Um, you know, I'm, I'm no expert. I'm still figuring this out very much, but yeah. um, that's, yeah. that's been one thing that's been real, real productive for me. Actually last year I took a, um, a, a buck I really liked. Um, it was a, a 10 pointer going on 12. He, had, he was a mainframe 10 pointer with the beginnings of two kickers, uh, uh, you know, kicker on both of his G2s. And he was moving in a real predictable fashion with these does um, when I shot him. And they'd been doing that for some time, probably weeks. Um, and it was pretty cool. I, I had a camera nearby, maybe a, less than a quarter mile away. And at the same time I shot that buck, um, I had on camera another buck, a, a shooter chasing some does um, on a similar kind of corridor food to bed area and actually got him on video reacting to my shot. It was a, it was a rifle hunt and he heard the shot and turned and looked towards my stand um, <laughs> as I was shooting his cousin or whatever, I, I guess. But, um, you know, same kind of thing, real predictable. Um, that's what, that's my working theory right now. Um, yeah. yeah it's kind of that pattern. So when, you know, you said you're, when, when there's not a good acorn crop and you're looking for the food, are you, so when you're just kind of scouting and then setting up when you kind of find those areas, kind of run a little bit mobile when it comes to that? Or yeah, definitely. Um, pretty much always mobile, except when I'm, um, like I mentioned, I, I have a place that I hunt with some friends and that's, that's a lot of fun too. And we have fixed tree stands, um, that we go to that always feels like kind of a luxury yeah. To be able to just walk to a tree and climb right up and sit down. But um, this year I've been playing with the saddle a little bit. I think you have too. Um, you've been hunting with the saddle pretty much exclusively, but um, I've been messing with the saddle just to, just because of the weight and bulk. The bulk is a big thing. Um, still figuring all that out. I, I still use a climber. I have a really lightweight climber. It's an X stand. Um, it's 13 to 14 pounds. And that has some advantages, I think, over the over the saddle. But I'm starting to move more towards the saddle um, for the mobility, especially in the big woods. Um, it's the saddle is about half the weight than the climber. Um, I don't use a platform, but I may have to change that. But if I added a platform to my saddle setup, it would be about the same weight. Gotcha. The, um, the climber has all that stuff over your head. You know, the the um, I guess you call them the bows that go around the tree. Uh, and that's a pain when you're moving through brush and here in Virginia, we have a lot of mountain laurel, um, it can be hundreds of acres of mountain laurel. They'll call it a laurel hell, like a laurel thicket so moving around that stuff or, um, down in the Creek bottoms in the spice bush and the little, you know, the whippy brush, um, this, 
the the uh, the climbers just tough to walk in the woods with that, especially in at, um, in the dark, long distances. So definitely staying mobile and trying to move with them. And um, yeah, right now trying to figure out you know where they are. Yeah. Well, one one thing before I continue on that thought, when you're talking about the climber, so I I use the climber for years. I I still love climbers. I mean, they're they're great. They're super comfortable. The problem was, yeah, them sticking up like that. I get caught on branches yeah. in the dark, and you're kind of yeah. hanging yourself back. And uh, there was one stand I had. It was an old API climber that uh, that one kept pretty compact it was it was over 20 pounds it was heavier but it was uh but it was really compact and i liked that part about it but um yeah i think there, there's definitely advantages you know for both both scenarios depending on what you're doing i i love the saddle being so like you said it's, there's nothing to it really you know you can wear either your saddle in or most of the time i like to put mine in my pack because i gotta layer up when i get to the tree but you got a little tiny platform and i got the sticks that go on to the side. So you, you keep yourself a pretty small, um, or at least nothing that can get caught on stuff essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a definite advantage. I thought about that just last night, walking out of the national forest and, um, I ducked under, I like did like a limbo thing under one, uh, limb. And I just thought, man, that wouldn't have worked with the climber on there. Yeah. And, uh, just so nice to throw that stuff in the pack and move uh, a little more easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you're, when you're out there looking again, so say right now, this time of year, you're out looking for that hot food source, whatever it may be. Is there anything you're, you're looking for? Or are you more so looking for like they're digging or doing stuff or is there a certain plant or, or anything that, that you, that you typically find more so than others? This year, um, they seem to be going to grass, you know, fields, of which we don't have a lot, but, um, there are, there are some that, ha- um, where I'm hunting and they are making a beeline for that pretty early in the, in the evening. It seems like, um, you know, they can eat just about anything. Uh, I watched them eating, um, I think Mount Laurel the other day. And I was kind of surprised by that. And, um, and, and some other stuff, I think that's probably a bad sign. That's probably a low food, food preference thing, but, um, they've been definitely moving towards a couple little grassy areas that are getting hit pretty hard. Um, at least that's what it seems like, uh, for me and a couple little pockets that still have acorns. Um, I hunted in the snow. We don't get a lot of snow here during hunting season, but I got to do some tracking the other day Oh, nice. and I could, that was really informative for seeing what they're doing, where they're going. And they were hitting these, um, places where, um, you know, steep, uh, like a draw, like, um, a low part between two Hills where there's some Oaks. And I guess the Oaks, the, um, acorns had rolled down into the, um, into the, the bottoms of those draws. Yep. And they were also going into the Laurel and, and looking for acorns there. I guess those are places where maybe they'd overlooked some acorns earlier in the season. That's, that's my guess. And, um, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's not a lot of logging here, so we don't have those, disturbances that would bring up fresh browse, you know, stuff they can get to down low, um, like the biomass down low. Um, so you've got to look for other, other disturbances like that. Um, and that's, that's hard to find, but it, we had a, um, a big ice storm a couple years ago during hunting season that hit the ridges really hard, hit oaks really hard for some reason. And that made some clearings. We had um, a storm called a derecho, about five years ago, I think, which is a um, heavy duty 
Um, it's like a, we had like hundred mile an hour winds or something, knocked out power for a week. And that derecho um, left some, um, they were like little microbursts, I guess they're called like a downdraft of, of air. That's like a hurricane or a tornado. I mean, in a small area that just cleared out, it was like a bomb went off in an area that was maybe like an acre, two acres, maybe more. And those, um, those little downdrafts or um, microbursts uh, cleared out, you know, some areas opened up the canopy and then you've got stuff, um, little stuff, you know, saplings and stuff sprouting up. That's been good for the deer um, stuff that comes up out of stumps um, is really good for them. Um, has a, a, a lot of nutrients apparently when, yeah. when you uh, stump sprouts, maybe it's like that in logging too. I'm not sure, but um, it's, you just kind of got to be creative. Um, burns, burns are a big deal. Um, Cause we do have forest fires here and you know, it's not Colorado, but, we do have the occasional forest fire and that um, that'll open it up and um, yeah, just trying to, trying to figure it all out. Yeah, no, that's a lot of the things you said. There are such good points and it's funny. I, I almost asked that question as, as sort of a trick question because it's, there's never any, I don't know, from my perspective, there's not really anything to be like, okay, there's no acorns. You can go yeah. to this bush and they're going to, feed no because it's it's all dependent on what's going on then yeah. i've i've seen the deer here feed crazy on ferns on the side of a hill or like we have a lot of uh, blackberry briar bushes they'll chew on the little oh, okay. ends of those and like just like weird stuff and i've seen where um there was one time i was scouting a new area in the winter time and it was real icy they couldn't dig in the snow mm-hmm. and they were just chewing that they were chewing the bark off of trees and like i mean that's when you know food's bad but uh yeah yeah and like and when you're talking about grassy areas um any like gas well pads or something we have a lot of gas wells throughout the okay. mountains here like old ones that aren't even they haven't been operated in 40 50 years but they'll have still a little grassy field there and it seems like there's always tracks and digging uh-huh. in those okay. in this in the snow which is again pretty pretty much similar to what you were saying that you're seeing in virginia too yeah um and i talk about like bed to food but they can eat anywhere in the national forest like you said they can eat bark yeah mountain laurel and there's endless mountain laurel um areas near like creeks or springs um like a high mountain spring has been a good thing for me um the bucks you know like we all know that big bucks often are up higher and so trying to find a spring or something that's up higher than the others and near where they might be bedding has been good. But I also think that the creeks, for some reason, they stay greener. Maybe there's some more greenery in there. Deer here love green briar. Um, yeah, a lot of things. But somehow being near the water seems to keep stuff greener um, that they can nibble on. But um, so, I mean, I talk about the bed to food area, you know, pattern, but it's not it's not like uh you know, like the Midwest where it's so well-defined, they can eat anywhere. They can bed anywhere. Um, so it gets into like finding that where they're traveling and using the the classic thing, you know, the terrain funnel um, of which there are just so many kinds, Yeah, you know, in these mountains. And, and, and I think you mentioned the vegetation edges. Um, we always talk about veggie edges, the, you know, where two different vegetations come together, which is a classic, you know, kind of thing. But um it's kind of late in life that I started really looking for that and finding where like two or three of those things come together, like a terrain, you know, a terrain feature that funnels them where it meets, you know, like a pine hardwood edge or a mountain laurel thicket edge. 
or where a steep area meets a flatter area, We're trying to find a couple of those where they come together. And even if you find where three come together, it may not be, there may not be any deer there, but um, that's kind of what I've been trying to look for um, mainly yeah. in scouting, you know, the, the maps, um, Topo, I love Topo maps. Um, and that can be, you know, Onyx or um, I use EarthMade a lot because I use an inReach, a, a Garmin inReach. Um, I know some people use Terrain Navigator, um, whatever you're using. That can't tell you necessarily, obviously, that um, this area has a bunch of blowdowns that are that deer are moving around. Or uh, a big thing for us has been gullies. Um, and I'm talking about like a gully that may only be six feet deep but it's pretty steep and dramatic and a deer will walk around that often rather than do that little dip. And, um, those things aren't going to show up on a map. So you've got to, um, I call it being on site or, you know, it's just boots on the ground and that's, um, just time in the woods, looking and looking, putting it all together with all the other sign you're finding, I, you know, seems to me to be the thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, it comes, you can, you can think about how many times like, you know, yeah, you're looking for bed to food or you're looking for this train feature, this vegetation feature, but not, you have to look at when you're actually there to, to confirm that and use a little bit of kind of woodsmanship or what you learn, you know, and just sometimes I feel like I overcomplicate it. And sometimes I just got to dumb it down for myself. All right. There's, there's deer sign here. Why are they here? Just kind of think why yeah. why are they digging here why are they doing that and the, the thing you said about like the spring seeps or the water coming out of the mountain up high it's it's fun we get you know more snow i i would think up here and a little bit colder temperatures but everything will freeze up in the winter and if we have a hard winter i'll find a lot of sheds around those spring seeps and huh. my i had a couple theories with that one was about the green there's a lot of green stuff there, but they can dig to it because there's water running out and that's the last to freeze. So it's softer. And, okay. And so like this, this past shed season, I found, well, I found in one spring seep, I found four sheds. There was, it was a mash and two other separate ones. And then another spring seep, I found two, two other uh, sheds that were from different bucks, but it's just, it was just funny or it was just not funny, but it was just something that I've kind of noticed. And I was like, you know, if I hunted late season more, I, you know, I would probably, I don't know if, if we had a lot of, you know, snow or cold weather or something, you know, look at that a little bit more. And it was just, it was just interesting to me. Then when you said that, it kind of brought that back into my memory a little bit. I really envy that. Um, I really envy the guy, the snow that you guys get. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I wish we had that here. It's a very rare treat to get to hunt in the snow here. It's um, something I live for, but it's, we could go a whole season or two without any snow during hunting season for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a good, I don't know, six hours South of me, maybe even more. So you're, yeah, you're, you're ways down there compared to, but you are some higher elevations. So you probably get lucky and get some, you know, sometimes. Yeah. There's some on the ground up there. Um, yesterday. Gotcha. A little bit. What about, um, do you, do you notice anything with bedding in the late season? Is it any different? Um, you know, as far as just general, uh, buck bedding, what, what, what do you kind of find with that typically? Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot this year. Um, the Southern slopes, um, for obvious reasons with the solar exposure seem to help. Um, the, uh, especially the Southeast side of it, we have a predominantly 
westerly wind. The wind t- tends to come from the west here, um, although it can come in from every direction um, all within an hour. It can swirl around a lot, but um, so they they seem to like that southern exposure for the for the sun to stay warmer, especially on a on a calm day with with little wind. But the um, and I, I'm not the first person to notice this, but the southeastern uh, side of a hill, uh, mountain seems to be a big deal. That seems to be what the, the deer I'm hunting this year are doing They're Um, they've got a Southern slope that's pretty open and pretty rocky. And I think they're, they're on that. And then they're, um, in the Southeastern slope, but there's not a lot of food there right now. So they're moving from there to areas that have, um, either what little bit of grass we have in the national forest, or they're moving, from that southern southeastern slope to the um, the areas with oaks, um, and the oaks are typically on the shadier side of the hill here, often the north. Um, and so they they seem to be either moving over the mountain um, from the south to the north side, or from that uh, or, or like across a valley from the south southeast to um, some place where there's food, like some, some acorns or something. Yeah. That's, that seems to be what's going on in the area that I'm hunting. Yeah. So yeah, they're betting on that Southeastern slope a lot. Um, sometimes in, I think they also like to get in little deep laurel pockets. Maybe that's for wind shade, uh, you know, wind cover or something, but, um, yeah, that's, that seems to be what's happening as far as bedding, um, late season. They'll bed closer to the food too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 don't want to get up and see. it's yeah like kind of what you said earlier. It's almost like early season reversed. You know, as you get towards the end, it's kind of they kind of divert back to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with that with that story of that buck last year, did you did you have? It sounded like you said that they he was on almost some sort of a pattern. What was the what was the situation with that? That one last year. Um, that was an awesome was- buck, by the way. He was super heavy, if I remember. Oh, that, that's probably the, yeah, the one last year. Yes. Really yeah. heavy, really massy. Yeah. Um, oh man, probably the most mass of any deer I've seen, but he, to be honest, was pretty small. The rack was pretty small, not wide. Um, I think he was two and a half years old actually. And really? I, you know, I had a long time to watch him as he came close. He was following some does and checking their trail and, they came right at the does, never saw me walk past me. He, um, he followed them. And then he looked right at the stand I was in. My buddy had been in that same tree the week before. And I think had seen him and it said, man, there's a big buck. You should go hunt that tree. Uh, cause he was done for the season. And, um, I f- and he had been busted by, I think the same deer. So that deer knew to look at that tree. He saw me in this, you know, in the stand turn 90 degrees. So I had no shot but then he crossed the little Creek. And as he crossed the Creek, he turned slightly and opened up a little bit of a kill zone, you know, the, the vital area and had the shot, but he, um, I realized I had his sheds from the year before both of them, uh, where he was a 10 pointer as a year and a half, you know, he, they were tiny. So he was clearly a year and a half old. Then they were fresh sheds. I had both of them and they were just like his, you know, the rack he had last year, but, but bigger, but, watching him i saw that mass and i counted 10 or 11 points and thought yeah you know this is an old deer he's not going to get any better than that with that mass he had so much mass um and then when i got him realized i had 
the sheds. So I had his sheds from the year before. So he had to be two and a half because the sheds were clearly a one and a half year old. And yeah, that's what the, to- that's what the tooth wear indicated. And that's, um, we sent the jawbone to the game department and they came up with two and a half as well. So he, really? um, he was actually a pretty young buck, but, and I kind of felt bad because what would he have been like, you know, two years later, I mean, a massive, he would have been awesome, but, but, I, but I'm happy with it. It was really cool. It was a cool hunt. He was on a definite, you know, he was good. They were going up the hill, uh, through a Creek bottom. Um, I think you hunt Creek bottoms a lot. Yeah. Still figuring it out. Um, would love to hear more about that, but he, they were moving up and they were going to bed. They were on a, they were, um, they love this one particular East West Ridge. It's the only really real East West Ridge on this, um, on thousands of acres of mountains. Most of them are at a different angle. They just love this ridge. I killed a um, five and a half year old 10 pointer on this, um, probably a few hundred yards past where these guys were uh, back in 2010 in December, December 16th, um, which was a cool buck. But he, um, yeah, they were definitely on a food to bed pattern. They were, you know, they were going to bed. It was in the morning. And, um, and like I say, there was another one, another nice buck, not too far away. And they were moving up a different Creek bottom to go to bed as well. Um, yeah. R- real predictable. Like you said, like the early season, but with different foods available for the deer. Was it, was it pretty steep in that area? Like where the, the Creek bottom that was like, was it like a, just a small stream that went through a steep sides coming down to it? Yeah. One slope, the slope I was on in particular is very steep. We, in fact, we call it the crow's nest because you're up, uh, up very high. Um, I hunted it two days ago with my son and watched does doing the same, uh, the same pattern going in the same direction, the same place, uh, really steep on, on the side I was on with mountain laurel. And then the other slope is not as steep, but had a bunch of blowdowns and they like to get up in those blowdowns. You know, that's, that's, it's again, funny you say that I was out, um, I was just telling you before we recorded here that I hadn't been out in a few weeks, but I lied. I, I did go out to go in to pull some cameras from an area. I had cameras out for over, well, it was December last year. I put them out and I finally got back in there and it was a lot of snow. So I got to see what they were doing at this time of year. And this, the same scenario you're talking about, it seemed like down in those deep ravines, right? That right, like where it's just where it's super steep down to where the creek is on above it. There was some heavy trails and so much digging and and everything seemed like they were going back up the mountain um you know bedding up a little bit higher and coming down into more of the bottom areas to do some feeding and everything and it was just every time i'm out i learned something a little bit new and and i'm sure it depends on every year and what the conditions are and stuff but um that's it's those areas can be, I mean, really tough with the wind, you know, where it's steep, yeah. steep like that, you know, that comes down. It seems to swirl a lot more. Yeah. We, um, my friend Byron and I always joke about how people talk about hunting the wind and, you know, <laughs> you, you know, you can't use the forecast. It'll say southwesterly winds 10 to 12 miles per hour. It, it's, it really does swirl around. Um, you know, you've got some predictable things like the westerly predominant, uh, predominant, you know, westerly winds. And, you know, I know people try to be on the, the leeward side of the slope where the little wind tunnel is the thermal tunnel, but, um, man, the, it's like a 360 degree Mobius kind of thing. I was, I was swaying around in my saddle yesterday. I'm probably 200 pounds with all my gear on and I'm, I'm not a big guy, but it, I was swaying in the wind, probably a couple inches just, yeah. you know, 
It was crazy. Yeah, it, it is funny about the whole. I've heard people talk about like when the wind changes, they change, they get out of their stand. I'm like, are you kidding me? If I did that, I'd never be in a tree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not for long. No, it's always doing that. But when you're talking about that, that I am I am so surprised by when I saw that that deer and that buck. I remember when you shot that. I was like, that I thought that was just an incredibly old deer, you me know, too. and and. uh I shot a deer similar to that in 2017 in Ohio. I remember it was a, a 12 point that I walked up to it and the body looked like it was so small and it ended up being a, a two and a half year old. And I joked, I'm like, well, anybody that was hunting this, I just shot their future 200 because this thing was like, it was 125 inch 12 point with splits and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, nice. it was just, it was cool. And I'd, I'd shoot, I'd shoot that deer 10 times over again. You know, I mean, it, you don't get, that you know, and we're not on, we're not hunting these managed properties or anything. That, that's just that's incredible. But yeah, I, that deer specifically that you shot had so much mass on it. I I just like yeah. that was, that's crazy to me. Yeah, that's 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 what surprised me. I, you know, watching him walk up, I just thought he had to be older and probably wasn't going to get any better. And um, I typically won't shoot, you know, especially on the, on this property, we, um, we've kind of all, all the people that we know that hunt it, um, we've, we've agreed to just take one buck each. So we look for something where if you held the deer's ears out, um, physically held them out, they would be wide. The rack would be wider than that. So that's typically going to be like a 18 inch or more longer, uh, main beam, um, you know, length and, just i thought man he's not going to get any better than that it's late season and um i think you and i get talked a few years ago about um i kind of was thinking man i'm become so obsessed with big deer that i'm watching all these good deer walk by and you know i don't want to get too focused on that especially because i'm not hunting a managed area not you know in the national forest especially and it's um i want to keep it fun you know i don't want to not shoot anything and um you know and just spend all my time hanging it you know in a tree watching things walk by you want to um occasionally harvest something yeah kind of keep it real so thought that maybe my my expectations had gotten too high um or my standards had gotten too high but i'm i'm happy with that that buck from last year it was um he was a cool cool rack and just seeing his you know having his both of his sheds from the previous spring um was really neat you can hold them up uh, and I think I posted a video or something of, uh, you can hold the sheds inside his rack and, um, and just see that it's the same deer. One brow tine is rounded and like a, has a little ball on the end and his sheds were the exact same. And, huh. um, yeah, really cool. I, I was happy with him, even though he was, um, he was not outside the ears, so to speak. But, um, how how funny is that though? Like we, we talked about this, like I said, a couple years ago and I still struggle with, I'll, I'll be like, you know, one year I'll be real good with, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go out there and I always have fun, but I mean like have fun and shoot whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be this giant deer or whatever. And then this year I got back into the, the situation where I got obsessed after getting some photos of some truly giant deer. And I just completely got hyper focused and I passed on a couple bucks that I literally when they walked away I tried calling them back in because I was like I just made the biggest <laughs> mistake of my life you know yeah. and uh, uh that's being a little dramatic but at the same time it was just like 
I, 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 I have that internal battle all the time. And the one that you, the listeners can't see this, but behind me, there's a buck that I have mounted up there and, and that deer, he's only 14 inches wide and, and he was aged eight and a half. So like, he's just wow. super tight, heavy, you, you Good know, mass. yeah, real, real massive. It's kind of hard to see in the, the video there, but he, yeah, he's super tight and just heavy deer and actually just quick story. I shot him like four and a half miles away from where I had photos of him in the summer the year prior. And he was, he was bigger and, um, he shrunk up a little bit and I shot him during a rut and a crick bottom four and a half miles away, not ever expecting to see that deer. It just happened to, I got yeah. lucky, you know? Wow. But, four and a half miles. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was just incredible. But, um, back to, back to talking about the late season. I wanted to hear from, from your mouth, the story of your 2017 giant that you shot. And, uh, you would, this will be when this podcast comes out here next week. Um, I'll post it up the mountain buck Monday photos and stuff of it. That deer is incredible. And what you, what you shot that the day after Christmas. That's right. Yeah. The 26th, um, I was, that's probably the coolest buck I've taken. Not the biggest, but, um, he was, was plenty good. Um, really cool. He, um, when I took him, he was with, he was, um, he had a doe following him actually. Maybe that's, that's how big of a study was. They were, they were lining up following him, but he, um, I had had pictures of him and I think I sent you some of the trail cam pictures of him going back to, um, to velvet, maybe July. Um, and that was at a spring, uh, the highest spring around. And he, um, he had kickers on both G twos and I forget how wide he was. Um, but he, uh, he had pictures of him early, um, and then lost him kind of during rut and then started getting him again in November. And I just had his core area. Um, I think that's one of the key things too. It's just, they, I think in winter, or late season, they go back to their core area. You know, I feel like during the rut, it's like pandemonium. They can range. I don't know when you took that, that buck behind you, but if, you know, they can range, like you said, four and a half, 10 miles, even I've heard, uh, during the rut, just running around. It's just not predictable. It's fun. A lot of action, but, um, if you're hunting a specific year, that's not, it's not the best time to, yeah. Cause that was November 14th. So what you're saying okay. you know, d- during the rut, <laughs> that's like peak right here of peak breeding. Um, but this guy, I think I was in his core area and he came back to that and, um, kept getting pictures, but, and trying to figure out where he was betting. And I, I had some good guesses cause I do know that area pretty well. That's a, like a 2000 acre parcel there. It's big woods. There's pretty good pressure. And this was as far back as you could go. Um, a lot of work, you know, one of those things where you're walking up the mountain in the dark, um, you might be bare chesting it again, going up there, even if it's 20 degrees, you're just, you got to put in a lot of energy to, to get back in there. And, um, I think it was like the second or third sit. I figured he was coming down one of these finger ridges and I was just kind of jumping back and forth between the two ridges. I would hunt one ridge for like two or three days, the same tree even. Um, I know that some people don't like to do that, but just trying to make sure I'd covered that, that ridge you know, enough times that he might come by and he, um, came out like 30 minutes before daylight, uh, you know, before dark, like I say, with a doe behind him. 
and um it was a long really steep shot and he um he 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 ran i waited till dark to come down and found a little bit of blood but as i was walking started following the blood trail like 10 feet i heard something get up and run in the dark so i backed out went down the other side of the ridge did a big loop around came back the next day and and found him but he um i think that was just a case of finding his core area and waiting and waiting and waiting just sometimes i think just relentless you know keep hammering keep grinding is one of the um one of the secrets that you know at the, not a secret but one of the one of the things to keep in mind at this point just being patient uh you know in these big woods because they cover so much ground and they can go anywhere yeah, yeah. I, I think when um one of the things I've learned from interviewing so many successful hunters like yourself is like the ones that are consistently successful are the ones that are just are grinding it out. It takes a long, there's no secret to it. There's no shortcut. And like yeah. when you're talking about hunting the same tree and I mean, I've learned that I've learned this from my dad. I've learned this from other people is especially in low deer density areas, you're not blowing anything out, you know? So why, why not? you know, because they're not taking the same trail every day. So just because you sat there one day and they didn't come by, doesn't mean he's not going to do that the next day or, you know, two days later, three days later, a week later, you don't, you don't know. It's, 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 it's tough, but I, I think, yeah, that what you're talking about there sitting, I, I, this year, I definitely did a lot more of that where I felt like in the last few years, I was bouncing around too much. I think I got so much love in the the saddle and the ability to do that, that, um, I ended up moving around too much. And yeah, sometimes, sometimes you just got to trust your intuition of like, I think this is a good spot. I just need to wait it out. Yeah. I think that's where the cameras are nice. Um, you know, I mean, obviously step one to killing a big buck would be to find a big buck, you know, find the place where they are. You got to find them. They have to be there. You to kill them. Um, you know, otherwise you can do everything right. And it's futile, but, um, but just having pictures and getting an occasional picture of him gave me that confidence to keep, keep going. And, um, you know, he's still here. Just stick with the plan. Um, don't deviate. Don't, you know, trying to keep, keep, keep confidence up so you can keep keeping the stand. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I never get a big buck on camera just multiple days in a row, like doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, I might get them once a week coming through here, if that, you know, and, and yeah, it's, 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 yeah, you can't, you can't focus on, you can't make it as you go in there one time and be like, oh, that didn't work out. It just, I don't know, for me, it doesn't, doesn't ever seem to work that way. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest, that's the first deer, um, the first deer where I've had pictures of him and said, that's the one I want to get and focused on that specific deer. That's, that's, that doesn't always work out. Um, and I passed up a lot of, I passed up an arguably a bigger, better deer earlier in the season because I didn't want to, you know, ruin my chances of, of taking this one. And, um, I was, I filmed several really nice, you know, I don't know, one thirties and, maybe bigger, nice, massy bucks with my phone, you know, as they went under my tree stand, my friends were like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Are you a wildlife photographer? Are you Ansel Adams now or something? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? You're going to shoot them. And, um, I'm so glad I held out. I mean, December 26th is getting down to the wire and, um, man, yeah, it was awesome. I feel really lucky. <laughs> 
what, what do you what do you do as far as um in your head when you're going that long in the season it can be difficult to want to continue to grind and hold out and everything how how do you how do you do that in your head i guess man i'll be honest i just love it i would sit out there i mean our season ends in two days and i'm um, i've hunted a lot this year thanks to my the support of my family uh, my wife um but um i mean i would keep going i love sitting out there i don't really know why but um, like I say, having the pictures helps, you know, knowing that there's something out there that might walk by staying warm, which gets to, you know, gear and things like that. Um, and just, but honestly, I, I mean, I, I love it. Um, so, you know, I talk about the grind, but I love it. So I, I, I could keep going. I'd hunt dark to dark every day yeah. <laughs> if I could. <clears throat> yeah and yeah you, you gotta love the process with it but yeah it yeah. no matter what no matter how you phrase it it's a grind that's for sure and and that's true and you know difficult to um in in your head sometimes it, at least for at least for me I, I can i struggle sometimes with every once in a while you know losing confidence in you, what you think you know as the season goes on and yeah and every time i look back and i look at the data i do you, you just gotta wait you gotta wait it out you gotta got to give it the shot. Yeah. I've really, you know, this season hunting this part of the national forest has been, I've just been getting schooled. I haven't, I've seen some decent deer, but not many deer at all. It's just so low deer density. Um, that's been kind of hard, but, um, just, you know, having those pictures of those deer that I got just knowing they're out there, um, you know, has been nice. And I'll often use the cameras more as a, for next year thing, like, you know, leave them out. And, um, I'm a big believer in the historical data and, um, killed my best buck ever, uh, because of what I'd seen two years before on the same day. It was on November 9th and I think 2014. And I shot a, it was in a, uh, not a big woods area, but I'd, I'd seen a, um, a really nice eight point with does. I grunted, I caught, and he left the does came right to my grunt straight at me, no shot, went behind a tree, turned, went back to the does and all I could see was his rear end. So no shot there. And, um, that was by far the best buck I'd seen in this little area. That's usually just like a meat stand for does. And there's some little bucks, but, um, ended up waiting for him. I figured they had bedded in the laurel and sure enough, they got up and fed a little bit near the bed, like 10 30 in the morning. And he presented a shot and I got him. He's a beautiful, um, eight point um, not huge, but nice. I was happy with him, especially for this area. It's near my house. That evening I went out on my deck and the same does were there feeding in a little field near my house. And I could hear them. They sounded like a herd of cows. They were just bleeding, you know, bleating, um, like mooing almost constantly. And I just had the feeling that they were in heat. That's why he was there. I made a note of it. November 9th, 2014, Went back the next year on that same day. It was raining. I was I, I had a cold. I think I threw on like my um, incinerator suit over my work clothes and went out. It was raining, so I left my binoculars behind. It was with a big mistake. Um, I didn't have a harness at the time. Now I use a ECG harness and uh, got in my stand. Sure enough, does walk by. Monster, like a one fifty, is behind him. I'm. I'm trying to look at him through the scope and that's just not as good. You know, it doesn't work. And I had shot a couple bucks earlier in previous years that had broken main beams. 
would have been great, great bucks. So I, I'm really careful to make sure that the antlers are intact. We, we have a lot of broken antlers here, a lot of fighting, I guess. So I'm looking at this guy, trying, he's, I counted like 12 points. I was like, man, but I wanted to be sure, didn't have my binoculars, grunted at him. The does kept going. They acted like they hadn't heard me. He turned, came right at me and bedded down facing me. And I sat there and watched him with no shot too far away, you know, no shot. And it got dark. And so it's like, man, that's by far the best book I've ever seen, much less on this property. November 9th came back the next year and the same deer walked by on the same day. And I hunt this property a lot. He's never been there. No, not on my camera or anything. I'm pretty sure it's the same deer. And I got him. He was, I think he grossed 155 and he was a 150. I mean, that's huge for yeah. me. That's um, that's huge for anybody. Probably the best <laughs> thing I'll, I'll ever, or the biggest deer I'll, I'll ever kill. And, but again, it was that November 9th. I mean, they're just amazing. They will be in the same place sometimes on the same day, a year later, down to the day. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's uncanny. So using a trail camera to um, figure out where a certain buck is on a certain day. And then you be there a year later to pull the trigger. And that's, um, it's uncanny. Sometimes if they survive, they will come back. And in that case, the one I shot in 2014 was obviously dead, but those does were in heat, um, on that, that in, in that time frame. November 9th is just when they come in, that's when they cycle in. And so the bucks figure that out. They either know that or smell it. And so, um, using your camera or just deer you've seen, like, you know, in the case of that one and just having a system for organizing your pictures, for keeping track of those dates. So, you know, oh, okay. You know, tomorrow's December 26th might be a good day to hunt in this area. Um, something like that. That's, um, it's just uncanny how they can return to the same area on the same day. Yeah. And do you, how do you, how do you keep track of that? Do you have like a notebook or do you keep it, you know, uh, digitally, how do you keep track of all that? Right now, um, as far as the pictures, you know, just keeping them all in little file. I mean, I, I'm a nerd. Um, I, I love systems and organization and having them all, I organize them by area and then I have a whole system for the dates, but, and then, um, for keeping track of the dates, I've just been using my phone, you know, and making notes on the little calendar app for, for, um, and, oh, and also if my, you know, if somebody else sees a nice, deer in a certain area i'll you know if a buddy tells me i'll i'll note that there and i'm i will usually be kind enough to remind them a year later that hey you know don't forget this is the anniversary of <laughs> when you saw the you know the big wide eight over there um but uh you know just keeping track of it all on my phone and i'm constantly as the season goes i'm kind of looking a couple of days ahead and saying oh you know i saw an a, a future buck or like you know an and a, a near shooter uh, here this time last year, I should maybe go sit near there this year. And um, man, it's, it's crazy how reliable it, it, you know, it can be. They're amazing how they do that. Yeah. That I, I love the historical data and I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to how, how you do. I have, I have trail camera photos yeah, on, on, um, on my computer. I have them all from year. I have them every year. I've ones back to 2012, I think was when I first started categorizing them. And at that point I only had a few cameras, but as they go along, I do them by year. And then I have a folder by the area. Um, mm -hmm. so like I'll have, I'll like put, say it was a certain general area and then I'll put like a dash and then I'll put like 
the certain ridge, I'll name it, you know, or and it's southeast facing laurel scraper, laurel edge, or whatever, you know, that might be. And I have those and then I have them categorized. Whenever I do the poll of the camera, I'll put like a folder, say, um, November the 10th through December 25th and I'll have that folder and I'll have them there. And then what I do is in the winter time, I'll go back through those photos. Cause I just love looking back at photos yeah. and, I'll, and I'll be, I'll go back through them all and I have, um, an Excel sheet. Well, it's Google sheets. I keep it on Google drive and all my daylight photos of mature bucks. I'll write those in there. And then, I go back in my phone, which is like when I'm hunting and I'll have, say, an encounter or whatever I see with my own eyes, I'll write those notes down just in the notes app that comes on the iPhone's little okay. mm-hmm. thing. And then I'll add that data in there. So then the following year, when I'm kind of making a game plan or doing anything, I can look back at that historical data and be like, okay, this time of year was super hot, you know, in this area. And you know, I'll even also I'll correlate the weather into it. Maybe there was a major cold front that might have, you know, if you get years of data in there, you might see um, some more trends. But even just say it like this year, I was hunting a new area. I learned a ton. So, you know, next year going into that, I'll look or October 30th. I saw the target buck I was after and he was chasing does around this area. Maybe the does are going to come into heat. The first couple does might come in yeah. in this same area, you know, and that's sounds like, you know, similar to what you're doing. But for a long time, I never wrote down that information. And I think that all I did was hurt me because I was gaining all this information that, I was losing because I, I can't say my memory is, is the best all the time with remembering all those details. And when you write it down, it's, I'm, I'm huge on lists and, and oh, me too. writing all, I mean, I, I, I probably do it even too much in different scenarios, but every asset, every facet of my life, I, I have lists and charts and stuff. I, I love, oh, I yeah. love, I love data. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, same here. I mean, I use that same little notes feature to keep track of my cameras. And, yep. you know, you got so many, I don't know if you're running a lot of cameras, keeping track of, of when you checked them last and, and, and where they are and, and all that. Um, Battery right life. Now I've got to have a camera missing somewhere right now. I've got to go find after the season. But yeah, yeah, that's, there's so much information there, you know, that you just got to, um, and, and even nighttime pictures, I will sometimes, you know, make note of that because, um, like that, the the buck I was talking about, the November 9th buck, um, he had come through in the evening the, on the previous year, but he came through at like nine in the morning on the next year. But same day, I'm pretty sure it was the same buck. He, I mean, they're not that many 150s running around here. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he looked the same. Um, but that was where I really was like, man, this is important to keep track of these dates. And, um, and yeah, I've been logging it right and left this year. Um, hunting this new area and, and you know like you said i'm naming all the ridges i have my names for them and yeah and, uh, yeah it's fun it's like a, it's quite a puzzle figuring it all out and it's um it's challenging sometimes i think we give these deer too much credit for things but at the same time maybe they're not so intelligent but they have you know instincts that are crazy good and um yeah well, it's, it's just amazing i'll give you an example where sometimes too much intelligence can hurt you is where I had this year it was November like 17th or something. I took off work. We got snow and 
it was almost it's come down in the last couple of days this year our season was extended a little bit longer in archery and uh i'd went out and i was gonna hunt this one stand on the side hill and these hemlocks and uh but I just checked the camera the Sunday before and most, I looked at how many pictures were in the evening versus the morning. And most of the pictures I was getting in daylight were in the evening. So I was like, I'm going to go hunt a different spot in the morning, go there in the evening. Well, I went there and as soon as I put my stick on the tree to start climbing up the one of the the big 10 points that I had in there was bedded. He was only 30 yards away. And he, he heard me crack on a stick when I was putting my stick on the tree and he took off. And I was just like, you know, whether I would have had a chance in the morning or not, I don't know. But I, it was a little bit of paralysis by analysis there where I overthought it, yeah. but um, th- you'll have those one offs, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. No, you were, you were right on the X. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. I didn't think you'd bed this close, but it was, it was a weird, yeah. weird bedding spot. So like, it's, it's funny how the, you know, m- myself included, but you know, a lot of other people be like, Oh, they always like to bet on this type of stuff. They'll do whatever the hell they want. Sometimes it's like this deer was mm-hmm. in, he was bedded in a creek bottom and he's open hemlocks where he could see a long ways. There was no real cover around him. I think he just had the visual advantage there. You know, he, okay. I, I I don't know if I don't know why, but essentially he was bedded in the wide open. Um, but he, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I just accessed it just right where he couldn't see me the, how I got that close to him. But, um, it was just, it was weird. It was a, it was, it was a weird scenario. Well, there's so much less spooky when it, you know, they are, they're not as skittish. I feel like when it's dark, like walking in, you know, you'll see their eyes and you're, if you use a headlamp, you know, you might see their eyes and they'll let you get really close sometimes in the dark. And that's, that's still pretty close. <laughs> that's yeah. Pretty hard. But, um, and you know, like you said, they'll bed down wherever they happen to be just to take a break. It's like taking a knee. Yeah. And, uh, especially he, you know, maybe he was still feeding and he just was taking a break. And, um, it surprises me how often they'll bed, like you said, just, in the middle of the wide open, not necessarily in a thicket or a blow down. Um, they just plop down. Um, sometimes even in bad weather, I feel like they'll, when you think they'd be in shelter, they will instead bed down in the open. And I'm still trying to figure that out. Maybe just yeah. so they can see, maybe if the wind is swirly, it gives them the ability to see all around. Uh, I, it's a mystery to me. I don't know. Yeah. Probably never figure it all out. <laughs> no, if we could figure them all out, we'd be, uh, we'd be, uh, you know, a lot more successful yeah. <laughs> earlier It'd get on. Boring, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll go with that. <laughs> but, yeah. anyways, Gordon, yeah, those I I love hearing those stories of. I I think you learn so much from stories of deer mm-hmm. more so than just talking in general because there it's it's difficult to put especially in the big woods, like to put any general rules or anything from it. They're all just yeah. scenarios and trying to, you know, take your best guess based on what you're seeing. Yeah. Best guess for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, is there anything else that, that you wanted to add um, to your late season stuff that I didn't ask you or we didn't cover anything? Man. I mean, I, um, I just noticed the other day in a clearing um, how the deer were all, uh, the wind was coming from the west and they were tucked up. This was new to me. That's why I mentioned it. They were tucked up on the western end of the field and um, right up near the trees. And I was just thinking about, um, it made me think about how like on a lake on a windy day, 
you can see the the ripples on the water where you know where the wind's hitting it. But if you get on the the windward side, there's shelter from the trees, and then it, it, you know it'll be calm on that um, on the windward side of the lake where it's ripply and white capping on the on the on the leeward side or on the downwind side, I should say. Yep. And that's what these deer were doing. They were hanging out um, kind of in the wind shelter of the trees rather than go out into the fields. I mean, I just that was just yesterday that I noticed that, and I was thinking that was kind of cool. Um, other than that, I mean, I feel like late season has a lot to do with staying warm, staying motivated. Um, for me, keeping my hands and feet warm is a big deal. Um, how do you keep your feet warm? Still figuring that out. Um, uh, you know, I don't use over boots, but I know that would help. Um, I've just tried to find some warm boots. Um, I'm wearing, um, some Loa. I think they're the Tibet model, the super warm it's called the Tibet super warm Gore-Tex and they have like 400 grams of Prima loft. Uh, and so they've been working out pretty well this year, um, for the feet. And then as far as the hands, um, I mean, my hands, especially like the older I get, the colder I get the, um, key part for me has been having that, that little pocket in the front, um, of, uh, I use the fanatic jacket a lot, especially if I'm not going too deep. And just being able to keep my hands together in that little pass-through pocket in the middle. That way I can just wear light gloves, like fingerless gloves, like the Fanatic glove. Um, just keeping my hands warm. Uh, that's been key, having that that sweatshirt-like uh, hand muff pocket, I guess they call it. Yeah. And, you know, that's been key because you still have the dexterity to use like a release or, 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 or your gun, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's been key. Um, having some kind of neck gaiter, it could even be a scarf, you know, um, I use, I use again, a, a Sitka one, but it, plenty of companies make them, um, that are similar, just something you can kind of tuck up into it. For some reason that neck, that neck gaiter is really helpful for staying warm and just in general, having good gear for whoever makes it. But yeah, that one they have though is so soft and warm. Oh, yeah. oh it's, <laughs> it makes I me happy just thinking about it. But <laughs> Yeah. Now, the the yeah. feet the feet thing that you're talking about like we get a, I mean probably a little bit colder um, than what you have down there but like I always find try to find this fine line of not sweating when you're walking in with too heavy of boots so like mine are 400 gram I have a pair of crispies that I wear I have the Loa Tibet uninsulated that I wear early season but I wear I wear those crispy ones later but i have a pair of um they're called hot mocks they went out of business yeah. like six years ago and they're just basically a slipper that goes over the top that i stick a body warmer in each of them and those work awesome we're like i've seen most of the other over boots are so bulky where yeah. these are aren't yeah. and they're literally they're nothing but fleece material and they're they're not really well built like my saddle platform tears them up like they're about shot but i haven't found anything else to be able to replace them like i keep saying i wish i uh i wish i i had uh the know-how to to make a product like that because uh i think that's needed for those of us that are hiking in a ways and don't want something that you know a rubber boot that's thousand gram that your feet's gonna sweat and plus you don't got any traction or anything else but anyways that's uh I, i was just interested to hear what your your thoughts on that was yeah, man, you should make those. I'd, I'd buy a pair. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, like you mentioned sliding in the, the heater pocket, the heater pouch thing. Um, that's another thing I, I've, I mean, I'll admit, um, 
I do ski patrol type, well, safety patrol type stuff um, at a ski resort here. And it gets really cold working the night shift. And I discovered those um, USB rechargeable hand warmers. Um, I mean, I, I forget what mine's called. Um, Thermocell or it's not Thermocell, but something like that. And it's, you can recharge it and it's super warm. Um, it's just perfect for your hand size and it's, you can carry that bad boy there a little heavy, but it's tiny, you know, it's the size of a pack of cigarettes and they, um, you can also charge your phone off of it. Um, but they are, wow. they're just so, you know, sometimes I, I feel like those disposable hand warmers don't work or they don't work very long. This thing will work and it'll go for hours. Um, that's been key to kind of staying warm too, you know, and if you're warm, you're not going to fidget as much and move around and you're, you might like call it a little early and head home maybe a little earlier than you should if you're cold. And so, um, I mean, I don't mind admitting I use one of those little USB things for sure. Yeah. Um, stay warm. Yeah. And that's, that's the only thing that, that sucks with late season, especially when you're going into some of these areas like you are with bulky clothes, you know, I, I love the fanatic gear, but it does suck cause it's, it's big, you know, and it yeah. takes out to bring a giant backpack into to carry, you know, all of it. And that's, that's the, that's the downfall I see with it, but it is nice when you're warm to, I love that thing. I, <laughs> I love it. I, I don't often take the fanatic back deep this year. I've been wearing, um, uh, Kelvin down hoodie because it's stuffed so small. And, um, I'm a, I have a pair of old Kelvin pants. I don't think they make that pair anymore, but, um, I'll use those for backcountry and for closer, Stuff. And that's not stuff that's meant for deer hunting, you know, whitetail hunting, but it packs small. It's really, um, really warm. And, um, I'll, you know, I'll slide that stuff on for sure. Yeah. I don't, um, I, I worry about the Kelvin pants getting torn up. Um, I use the Shikar sticks, the Shikar mini sticks from out on a limb and they're, they're pretty sharp. The, the, you know, the climbing sticks, they're pretty sharp. And I worry that, which is great for traction, but I worry they'll tear up that, that nylon. But, um, yeah, because those um, are mostly meant for out west, just thrown yeah. over while you're sitting down glass and right. And but yeah, they pack up so small. That's yeah, it, it, they're noisy, but they're they pack. It, it's it's a trade off you get with it. Yep, yep. But I do love that fanatic for staying warm though, and like you said, it's quiet. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyways, Gordon, where can people find uh, some more of your stuff? on social media. I love following along your Instagram page. You always have good stuff there. Where can people find some of that? Um, I post a lot of the hunting stuff on, uh, it's at Blue Ridge hunting on Instagram. I'm not really doing much on Facebook right now, but, um, and then if you're interested in like just general outdoor stuff, uh, hunting and as well as other stuff, my personal page G Dalton photo, um, on Instagram, but yeah. That's about it for, yeah. for me. You do a lot of other cool stuff too, like it, the, the kayak and all the other stuff you do in the summertime and the winter. You're always staying busy outdoors, it seems like, you and your whole family. We we love it, man. Just love being outside. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I Like I said, I've been wanting to have you on for quite a while now, so I'm pumped uh, to get to talk to you. That was fun, man. Thank you for... Uh, Thanks for the invitation. I feel I'm, I'm flattered. It was fun. <laughs> awesome. All right. We'll talk to you later, Gordon. Good deal. Thanks. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.